uh, his heart is true. Um, he loves God and he loves kids. And um, he's also started a ministry called Speaking for Him. And um, yeah, just I'm getting to know him and I'm liking him more every time I see him. So I hope that tonight you, you're uh, receptive, you're open, and and uh, willing to listen to what God has placed on his heart to share with us tonight. So, Andrew, thank you again for being with us tonight. We appreciate it very much. Well, thank you, Pastor Shane, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here as well. I'll just start with a little bit of an intro to my ministry. Uh, in September of 2009, through the influence of my father and some other very faithful friends in my life, God called me to start this uh, ministry called Speaking For Him. You can find it online at speakingnumberforhim.com. You can also subscribe to Speaking For Him on iTunes. And if you do that, you will receive my weekly podcast and you'll be able to participate in that ministry as well. And I really appreciate people for listening and I hope that they are encouraged to walk closer with the Lord. That is my number one uh, mission in my ministry, is to encourage people that are already saints to walk closer with the Lord. And I also have a heart for seeing those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior to come to the saving knowledge. But primarily I think that we kind of, a lot of times in, in modern Christian culture, we have this burden for the lost, but then once they're saved, what do we do with them? Uh, I feel like we oftentimes let them go their own way and we don't give them the direction that they they need to have. So that's why speaking for him uh, exists, is to spread the word of God primarily to the saved, but also to the lost. And I hope that you will be encouraged tonight as you listen to what the Lord has laid on my heart. Just a couple of things that you can pray for me about. Um, I'm continually looking for places to preach and share the Word of God. So if you know of anyone that could use some help, maybe someone is between pastors and they need um, guest speakers, make sure that you point them to my website. They can get information on my statement of faith and all kinds of audio and just different information about my ministry. Um, And so I'd appreciate that. Uh, I'd appreciate prayers that my vehicle, my van, would stay running because uh, as I begin to travel more, that becomes even more and more important. And that God would give me um, uh, the right travel companions for different trips I'm going to be taking. I have a very supportive family, but I'm also getting to the point where my family is starting to do their own things, and I need to make let them be available to do that. And so I'm grateful to my friend Bob, who's here tonight with me, who drove me tonight, and I'm just looking for more people that are willing to do that kind of thing. And and I'm also praying for a life partner, for a wife to share this ministry with. And uh, I really believe that um, Solomon wasn't kidding around when he said two are better than one. So uh, I just ask that you would pray for me in that regard. And um, so enough about me, though. Let's get into our message. But before we do that, I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for uh, the people that are here that have other options for where they could be tonight. But you decided 
that they needed to be here. And I thank you that you have caused them to make that decision. And uh, Lord, I just pray that if there be anyone here that needs to be encouraged, that you would encourage them. If there be anyone here that's lost, that you would find them and that you bring them to the fold. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. We'll be looking at a few different scriptures, but our primary text um, today is 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you're going to try to get through the whole chapter. We did it this morning, so I think there's a good chance we'll get through it tonight as well. But I'm just going to start reading the first uh, five verses. And it says this. <clears throat> And the, if you're today, if you're taking notes, the name of my message tonight is "Seeing People Through God's Eyes." And the first point that we're going to talk about is Samuel's commanded to anoint God's choice as king. I don't know how much you know about the Bible or how much time you spend reading the Bible. I hope it's every day. But if you know anything about the Bible, let's let's just look at a little background here. Um, Saul was chosen as the first king of Israel because after hundreds of years of being led chiefly by God through his messengers like Moses and Joshua the people of Israel said to Samuel who was the priest at the time they said Samuel other nations have kings so give us a king and Samuel was no doubt resistant to this because God had always spoken directly to his people he had chosen not to use a king. And Samuel goes to God and says, God, these people want a king. What should I do about it? And God said, well, as they always have been, my people are stubborn. So let them have a king. And he tells Samuel who to pick. And he picks Saul. And Saul is head and shoulders above everybody, everybody else, he has all the physical characteristics that you would want in a king. And, and God makes him king with some warnings to the people about what they'd give up. He said, you'll pay taxes, he'll take your children, and he'll make them his soldiers and his servants. You know, It's not going to be a picnic having a king. But they still wanted a king. So this, that's what God did. And so... Um, Coming to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have this issue where God says, Saul's made enough mistakes. If you, if you read about Saul, you'll find that he never developed a personal relationship with God. And even though God spoke to him directly, he often would be guilty of half-obedience. My mom always told me half-obedience was disobedience. And I think God has the same opinion. I think my mom got that from God, which is a good place to get your wisdom. And so the situation here is Samuel's mourning for Saul because he wanted Saul to succeed. It wasn't that Samuel said, because he's a king, I hope he fails. No, he wanted Saul to succeed. So that's the first thing that I noticed. But I'm going to just read the first five verses here and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn 
for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. So, he comes to Jesse, and he says, we're going to have a sacrifice. And, and this was no doubt made known to, Paul, to Saul, and this is why, one of the reasons why God told him to go with the sacrifice, because it wouldn't arouse Saul's suspicions. But he goes for this sacrifice, and he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. And before we move on, I want to look at a cross-reference, just one chapter back, in 1 Samuel 15, 26-31, we see God's, part of the reason why God decides I'm going to take Saul out of the kingdom and I'm going to anoint my choice, David. It says in verse 26, starting in verse 26 of, of Psalm, or 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said unto Saul, because this is after Saul was told to kill a whole land of people, um, and he was supposed to, to kill this whole people, and he didn't. He kept alive the king, and he kept some of their animals, even though he wasn't supposed to keep any booty. There were sometimes when God said, you can have their possessions. But this was one of those times when God said, I want it all destroyed. I don't want you to keep it. But, but Saul, being who he was, decided, I'm going to take some of the stuff that's there and I'm going to justify it by saying I'm taking it as a sacrifice to God. Because when Samuel came, he said, did you do all that God told you to do? And, Sam and he said, Samuel, yes, I did. And Samuel said, well, then why do I hear the bleeding of goats in my ears? And the bleeding of sheep. And he said, well, the people, they, they made me take the animals and they told me that we were going to use them to sacrifice to God. Well, the first thing you notice about this response is he's not leading his people if he's letting the people tell him to do something which God clearly told him not to. But you'll notice as we read this passage, and I'm going to go ahead and read it, 1 Samuel 
15, 26 to 31, you'll notice some other things, and I'll talk about them as we get done. And Samuel said unto Saul, return, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid a hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to thy neighbor, to a neighbor of thine, that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie, nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people, and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and worshipped the Lord. Now there's two things I want you to see from this cross-reference. Number one, Saul said, Turn and come back with me to worship so that I can look good in front of the elders of Israel and in front of the people. He didn't want to worship God out of a heart of gratitude or a desire to repent. He wanted to worship God because it looked good in front of the people. And I think sometimes in our culture today, it looks good to say you're a Christian. But there's a lot of people today that say they're Christians, but God in his economy says, I never knew you. There's a lot of people that we would look at and we might say, there's no way they're Christians. But God looks at them and he realizes that they are Christians and that they're just struggling and they need someone to help them along the way. So we need to be careful that we don't get in God's way. But the next thing he does is something very key. He says that I may worship the Lord thy God. You see, he, he acknowledged that God was God, and he acknowledged that God was Samuel's God, but he never acknowledged God for himself. He didn't say, let's worship the Lord my God. He didn't say, I want to repent of my sin and turn to God. It's kind of like if you just tell somebody, I'm sorry, well, what are you sorry for? Are you sorry that you did something wrong or are you sorry that you got caught? A lot of times when we say we're sorry, we're sorry that we got caught. But the next step is to say <clears throat> your whole heart, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Those seven words are perhaps seven most difficult in the entire English language when put together that is and we need to do that with our family and our friends and with God most especially so you see two things he wanted to worship God to look good and he wanted to worship someone else's God God wasn't real to him he didn't turn to God in repentance. And so that's why God ultimately left him and said, I've rejected you. 
I want to tell you something today. God says that if you come to him, he will not cast you out. But you have to come to him in repentance. So the second point in my outline today, God's choice is not often obvious. We'll continue reading in 1 Samuel 16, 6 to 12. And it came to pass when they were come, these are the sons of Jesse, because he knows that one of them is going to be king. When they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Aminadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shimeah to pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Now keep in mind, these are the ones that got brought. All seven of them, and none of them is the choice. But Samuel knows that the son of Jesse is going to be king. So what does that leave us with? There has to be at least one more. And reading on, we see, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? You know, um, just a little aside here. It's kind of funny. Sometimes when my dad is traveling with three or four of my siblings and I, people will say, are they all yours? Because once you have four or five children, people start to look at you funny and wonder how you could have so many. And my dad loves to respond, not by a long shot, because I'm the oldest of 11 children. And so when we all get together, uh, it's, it's, it's special and it's great. And it blows people away when we go to restaurants and stuff uh, because they're not used to seeing big families like that. In some ways, I think that's a shame because the Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. And, uh, but that's another message for another time. Um, but as we go through this, um, he, God is saying... So, so there is the. So it says, "Are these all thy children?" And he said, "There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep." And Samuel said unto Jesse, "Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither." And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, "Arise, anoint him." For this is he. Now can you imagine all of his older brothers just standing there? They each probably thought they were going to be king. Their younger brother, who wasn't even called to the sacrifice, wasn't even called to this meal, now they're hungry, they want to sit down and eat. 
But Samuel says, we're not sitting down until David comes. They were probably thinking, well, he's just a shepherd. We're not going to bother calling him because he couldn't possibly be God's choice. But one of the things I love about God is that he wants all the glory. So he takes people that the world says are useless and he says, that person is just about ready to be used of me. And so today, if you're sitting out there and you feel useless, I can relate. I was there. For the first nine years that I was saved, I was arguing with God. And God would say, serve me. And I would say, I can't. You gave me this crippled body. You didn't know what you were doing. I know you usually do. I know that you usually have a plan. But, and I know that you have my eternal destiny all taken care of, but... You could have done better on my temporary destination here, God. What's going on? And when I was about 14 years old, I went to a conference. And during that conference, God got a hold of me. And he said to me, he said, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I just need you to surrender your heart to me and let me do the work. And he brought me to a passage in Philippians, in Philippians 2.13, I believe that says, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that day, when I was 14, I might have been 15, I think I was 14, but that day, I told the Lord that whatever opportunities he gave me to share his word, I would take. And it took me another several years before I realized that he called me to preach the gospel. And this is a calling that I am now, for the last three years, embraced wholeheartedly, and I'm excited to see what the Lord is doing. But anyway, if you were in that lineup in Bethlehem that day, and you saw Samuel anoint David, what would you think? I don't know what I would have thought. But I probably would have thought something along the lines or what I thought when God first told me he wanted to use me. That he screwed up. But see, God doesn't screw up. Nothing takes God by surprise. And I don't know for sure, but it's quite possible, I think. It's not without the realm, out of the realm of possibility. That God had an intention for Israel to have a king like David, but because... They were impatient and went out of their way to get what they wanted when they wanted it. He gave them their choice first and showed them how easily it is for mankind to fail when they go their own way. But with David, he says, I'm going to choose a neighbor of yours. This is what he said to Saul. Earlier we read this. I'm going to choose a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Now, can you imagine God actually saying that? Well, that just underscores the significance of this moment here. And here's what it says about David in the New Testament. I love this verse. I, I want to live by this verse. I'd love this to be an epitaph of my life, to be part of my eulogy when I pass away. It says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and when he had removed him, this is Peter talking about David, 
or Peter talking about Saul. And when he had removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. You know, there's another man who God said this of. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. For He is eternal. He is risen from the dead after dying on a cross for our sins. And Jesus had this testimony before His Father that He always did the Father's will. And even on that night when he was going to go to the cross, he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He prayed that three times. But each time he ended the prayer, not my will, but thine be done. And he did that so that those of us here today on February 3rd, 2013, could have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Can you imagine the God of the universe, the one who created it all, wants to have a personal relationship with you. And he wants to have a personal relationship with me. That still boggles my mind after more than 25 years of following him. And that's what I would encourage you to do. If you haven't yet embraced a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, talk to me afterwards or talk to Pastor Shane. Or there's probably other people here that would be glad to lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see this, you know, David wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. But the difference between what he did when he sinned and what Saul did when he said what Saul did when he sinned was stark. Because when David sinned, he said, "God, forgive me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." And then. I will tell transgressors your ways. And as a matter of fact, he went to make a sacrifice and repentance to God, and one of the guys was going to give him his threshing floor. He said, you're the king. I respect you. I'll give you this threshing floor. And David paid for it. You know why? Because David said, I'm not going to offer anything to God that didn't cost me something. So that was the attitude that David had. And uh, as we move along, the final point that I want to make as we close is God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies 
the call. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 13-23, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass that when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants, and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in manners, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now at this point, David had still just been a shepherd boy. Because he doesn't kill Goliath until the next chapter. But it was still evident in David's life that God was with him. And it says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul said, then to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. I don't know if you ever think about this, but I do. I think there's a great irony in the fact that David went and worked for the very king that he would later dethrone. David became best friends which by the king with someone which by the kingly system of the day should have been the next king. Jonathan. And Jonathan loved David and Jonathan didn't want to stand in David's way. He knew that David was supposed to be king. And they pledged to each other that if anything happened to one of them that the other would take care of their families and David followed through and took care of Mephibosheth until he died who incidentally was lame in both his feet so I really resonate with that story although I probably won't get my future wife to let me name my son Mephibosheth but it might be worth a try but anyway um, so David kept his promise there but this is the point I want to bring out People know that people know whether you've been with Jesus. Now, for some people, it might tick them off because they're not believers. And they hate Jesus because they're not believers. For others, it will be refreshing because they are. 
You know, when I meet a brother in the Lord and I can tell the Spirit of God is with him, it doesn't take me very long to get to know them and to have a comfort with him that I could never have with my own uncle who's an unbeliever. Age doesn't seem to matter that much either. Um, Bob here is one of my closest friends now. And he's old enough to be my father, but he's taught me a lot. And uh, I think we've really helped each other. And God has good timing for all that stuff. But the point being that when you have a bond in Christ, it's a stronger bond than anything else that you could ever be bound in. And uh, I just want to look at this final cross-references. It's in Acts chapter 4. This is after Peter healed the lame man. And it says, Then Peter, this is starting in first chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, today I think we kind of overemphasize education sometimes. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. I think seminaries can be a good thing. But we have to remember here the disciples, they were with Jesus for three years, but they were fishermen and tax collectors. There was nothing special about them, and yet later on in Acts it says that they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. What was the difference between being a fisherman and a preacher? The Holy Spirit of God. What indwells every believer at the moment of salvation? The Holy Spirit of God. Now Peter, God's not going to call every one of you to get up and preach in church services like he's called me, but he calls each of us to preach. The world is our congregation and they are watching. Our families are our congregation. When a man leads his wife in daily devotions, he's preaching a sermon. When a woman cares for her children. She's preaching a sermon. Because, you know, there's one thing to be able to get up here and articulate the Word of God to people. And I appreciate that God has given, gifted me with that. But when we do what He asks us to do, that preaches louder oftentimes than what we say. There's a lot of people who will tell people who are on the road to hell that they're going to hell. But how many of us 
come alongside of them and love them into the kingdom of God. I will never compromise, Lord willing, I will never compromise the truth of the gospel. I'm willing to go to jail and even to die for it. I pray that the day will never come that God will ask me to do that. And I pray that if it does, he'll give me extra strength because I don't feel like I'd have the strength to do it. I don't want to repeat what Peter did. But the truth is more important than my comfort. Today in our churches, we sit, we we tend we're starting to say that everything goes. We can't take a stand on the sanctity of marriage anymore. We can't take a stand on the vileness and evilness of abortion anymore. Because it's not popular and we have to make the Bible say what we want it to say. But we just read about Saul. We read about how he tried to sacrifice animals that God said to destroy. You know what Samuel said to Saul? He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want your sacrifices of your time or your energy until he has the ultimate sacrifice of your heart. And when he has your heart and he can work through you as a channel, he will do great things. He promises it. I'm going to close with this verse. The Bible says in in 1 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That doesn't mean you won't struggle, because I struggle sometimes. Paul said, the things that I would do, those I don't, and the things that I would not do, those things I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, a couple verses later, thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should not be a judgmental people. But in our efforts not to be judgmental, we must not compromise the truth of the Word of God. If God says it's wrong, we need to be saying it's wrong. But we need to do so in a loving manner. We need to do so in a way It says to those who are caught and entrapped in those sins, we want to help you. And by God's grace, you can overcome this. There will be struggles in life, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so my closing thought for you today is, when people look at you, do they see Jesus. For good or for evil, whatever they think of Jesus, do they see him when they look at you? Now, we can be like the Pharisees, as was mentioned earlier. We can do all the right things on the outside. But, see, the Pharisees were trying to do all the right things on the outside. And the God of all creation was standing before them and they rejected Him. 
You know, I often wonder why God didn't, Jesus didn't appear to Caiaphas after he rose from the dead because Caiaphas had condemned him to death. And I thought, well, maybe that would have shooken Caiaphas up. Would have been cool to read about in the Bible, too. But Jesus also said, cast not your pearls before swine. Nobody has to tell Jesus what about what the heart of man is like because he knows the hearts of every man and he knows your hearts today. So my question to you, after asking the question, can people see that you've been with Jesus, is have you met Jesus? You know, probably 90% of the people in Grand Rapids can tell me that Jesus died on the cross. They might even be able to say that Jesus died on the cross for sin. But if I ask you individually, whatever your name is, whether it be Joe or Mike or, or Sarah or whatever your name is, if I ask you individually, did Jesus Christ die for your sins and have you claim the results of that sacrifice, would you be able to say yes? My prayer for you today is that today would be the first day, if it hasn't already, today would be the first day that you would say yes to that question. You know, just a little over a month ago, we celebrated Christmas. And it says in Isaiah, For unto us a child is given. Has that child been given to you? He's waiting with open arms. I'm going to close in prayer, and if you have business to do with God, I'm not going to pray for you, but if you have business to do with God, just cry out to Him. And if you have questions, talk to me afterwards, talk to Pastor Shane. But don't go to bed tonight until you've made a decision to follow Christ. And once you have, whether it be this church or another group of believers, find a solid Bible-believing church that doesn't compromise on the truth. And go there and learn and grow. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we go throughout our week this week and throughout the world. Maybe our feet will get dirty, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to trust you, help us to be guided by you, and help us to be such that people will see that we've been with Jesus. Help us to spend time with you so that can be true. For how can they see Jesus if we put you on a shelf and only get you down when it's convenient. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Help us to continue to be a light here. I pray for Take Hold Church that you would grow it in your way and in your time. That it would be a beacon of light. And that they would see not just um, people but changed people. Energized by the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.